Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey everyone, let's go ahead and jump into part three of the interview with John. Um, this one we're talking about um, basically immigration and then uh, what he did once he was out of immigration and then being deported to the Philippines. So once again, this is another long one. Uh, we're going to be jumping into a lot of things. Um, so go ahead and strap in and get ready. Some great information here. Um, and as always, you know, enjoy. I said, who, who are you? He goes, uh, I'm the transport for uh, ICE. I said, where am I going? He goes, uh, you go to Sacramento for processing. You'll either be in the Sacramento County Jail or Yuba or RCCC in uh, Elk Grove. Like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not in prison. So they processed me. Uh, I mean, even though you're not in prison, they still treated you as if like you're still a criminal. I mean, cuffing you up here, putting you in the paddy wagons, right? So <clears throat> uh, they processed me. I ended up going to um, RCCC. Then once again, it's a fucking jail that contracts with ICE to hold immigration detainees. Like, fuck. And I was locked in the cell for like 23 hours a day. Man, that was rough, right? Coming from prison where you're out almost all day. Then getting stuck in the cell for like 20 hours a day. And when they do let you out, you don't, there's no set schedule. It's when they want to let you out. Like, man, why? And the only way to, to go around that is to be a worker. So I, I ended up becoming a worker in uh, RCCC. So I was out all day. And uh, when you go to court for immigration, you'll leave like at two, 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 three in the morning, right? And then you drive all the way to San Francisco. And you'll sit there in a holding tank till your court hearing. The court opens at nine and then you're there all day, right? We'll get to San Francisco around seven. Court hearing starts at nine. Even if you're lucky to have a court hearing at nine, you're not gonna go home till everybody's done, which is like five. So you're there all, I hated that shit. That, I, <laughs> man, that's one of the ways. Oh, Silas, you got court. Damn, man, Why? all right. So, uh, yeah, so I was back to the county jail life and then cell living. I stayed there for like three, four months. And then they moved everybody out there and put everybody in dorm living, which is like Solano level two, which wasn't bad, right? Uh, you had freedom, but then you st I started to get used to the privacy uh, being in the cell because I was working, so I was out of my cell. So once again, back into that open dorm setting, fuck, whatever. But it wasn't that bad because I was able to stay busy. I was able to mingle with more people over there. So the time, I say the time kind of flew by fast. Um, you know, I was a worker there. I was a, what they call the house man. So I pretty much uh, uh, regulated the dorm, trying to keep every, the, the peace and harmony. And um, uh, from there on out, they moved us around in the jail and they put us in like um, cages, right? It's RBF. Where there's like 12 men dorm, but you're locked in a cage in a long, on a long corridor. And I was, that was, man, that was, 
I was a messed up unit right there. But I was a worker too, though. They put me, they made me as a worker. So I was always out of myself too. So I was fortunate with that. Then they moved us back to that dorm setting again. And I became a worker again, which is good. And out of nowhere, after, a, after two years later being an RCCC, uh, they told me to pack my shit. I'm being transferred, didn't know where I was going. All I know is going far. And then they sent us to Louisiana. Like, what the fuck? What the hell am I gonna do in Louisiana, right? And in the ice, right, they were being assholes. Like, hey, where are we going? Uh, we don't have that information. Like, come on, man. I said, man, we're all shackled up here. I mean, you can't, we don't know. So we, we go to Oakland airport and they got a, a they contracted with a private company, airline. Atlantic Air it was. Um, so they, we entered the plane from the back, asked the, the, the workers, I said, hey, excuse me, what's this plane, what's this plane going to? You see Louisiana. He had, he had like a southern accent. Oh, the fuck? I go inside the airplane, straight con air. They had like 140 of us uh, immigration detainees locked, uh, shackled up in there. I was like, damn, this is crazy. I the feds can do pretty much whatever they want, man. Oh, yeah. Most so, definitely. Yeah, so they flew, flew to Louisiana. Um, the process, they have an immigration processing um, unit at the airport. That's how big that business is when it comes to immigration, detainees, deportees. They got their own processing unit at the airport. That's crazy. And so they process this through. And then they sent us to, some of us went to Gina, which is another whole uh, uh, detainee, uh, a detention facility. I went to another one, Pine Prairie, and um, which was built like a prison. It was actually open air. They had yard, they had football, soccer, uh, basketball. So, I mean, I'm speaking like it was some good shit, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I mean, but you know how it is when you're in a bad, when you're in a negative situation, you always try to see the good out of it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay. I might be I might be locked up, but it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, so at least it's open air. The phone calls were ten uh uh ten cents a minute as opposed to collect call in uh the county jail was like six seventy five for fifteen minutes. Right. So a ten ten a fifteen minute call is only what dollar fifty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, about dollar fifty. So um so for three months, I stayed there. Once again, they called me early in the morning before I was about to go to law library, still fighting my... I also filed a really habeas because they were detaining me longer than they should with no, ju- with no justification because uh, I, could, I should have been out while my case was pending in the courts. So once again, they called me, told me I'm packed, pack my shit, I'm getting transferred. Sure enough, I ended up going to Alabama one of the worst detention facilities in, this, in the country. I called my attorney when I got there. He goes, I said, Anoop, they had transferred me to Alabama. He goes, oh, no, are you in, are you in ECDC? I said, yeah. Say, yeah. Like, oh, that's like the worst player. I said, tell me about it. That was, man, it, that place was something else, man. It's, it was fucked up over there. I hate to say it. But at the same time, that you know, I I'm, I can only say so much, but that place was crazy. At, at some point, it was like crazier than prison. It was crazy than prison. I, I was like, 
and they let that shit just fly. I was like, what the hell? I mean, I see some crazy ass shit over there. And and I just want to interject. So this is like going on three years, right? And you're technically a free man. You know, and, and this is what, you know, there's a lot of shit going on with people talking about borders and everything else and illegal immigrants and all this crap, you know, but um, regardless, you know, why why couldn't whatever was going to happen with you be expedited? Not to mention that your parents, military family, you know, served this country and, and because of stupid loopholes, it didn't happen way back in the day, you know, you're up for deportation. You know what I mean? It's like, anyway, so Alabama. Uh, yeah. Cause I spent, yeah. So in Alabama, um, I was, I was, I was what I was concerned about because I got my writ granted uh, when I was uh, in Louisiana. So then, what my concern was um, that because I transferred to another jurisdiction, they're gonna shift that jurisdiction to another court in Alabama, and I already got a favorable result. I said no, it doesn't affect it because the subject matter or where or the meat of the the argument has already been filed in this specific court. So I'm able to stay there. I retain the jurisdiction. They retain the jurisdiction over me, regardless of where I'm at physically in, in the, in, in the system, in the federal immigration system. So while I was in Alabama, I got my writ of habeas granted. Ah. Oh. All right. Yeah. So from, um, from there, I filed my, my writ, I got it granted, and um, the the judge that ruled in my favor was saying that there's no there's no jurisdiction. Oh, excuse me, there's no not enough evidence to keep me detained because there's yeah. You know, not to get too deep into the legal thing, but it's just like parole. They can't they can't use the crime on you, especially so so far back into you know in the past as a means to deny you. A bond, you say bond in immigration, mm-hmm. and I argue that and they said the governor, state of California, you know, he granted my release. I have a psychological report that justifies my release. And you guys say this is civil detention. Why are you using my criminal background or my criminal past to keep me detained in a civil, in a civil, um, in a civil, um, civil dispute over my right. immigration custody? Status. and they agreed with me and keep in mind that I filed this shit on my own I did a hell of research on that so I was filing continuous paperwork all those times that you went to court right and then me and me Michelle uh, would argue it's shit that we're reading on the record that we need for our appeal mm. uh, so so I'm reading stuff that the law says he's supposed to do and follow but then he goes I don't interpret the law like you do I said, okay that's fine but the law says that you no. Know, the law states that on the record that this is how they're supposed to conduct your hearing. Since he did it, that helped us. That helped me. So I will note that and quote everything he said. And then they agreed that he doesn't. There's no. There's no evidence to suggest that detention is warranted or necessary at this point. It's considered prolonged detention. So they granted my shit. I told them I'll go on ankle monitoring, and they agreed. So then uh, they granted my release. And then the, the government fought back 
they didn't want to release me. I was able to get a new uh, to get the judge to compel, compel the judge to enforce her order. And what she did, and she threatened to hold the government in contempt if they don't release me. And then after that, they fucking released me two days later. It should have been that day, but because it was closed. The place that was supposed to put that ankle monitor on me was closed, right? And here's the fucked up thing, because they called me. I was a worker in Alabama. Everybody was in their cell. They were locked down for uh, counts. The officer was at, at my cell looking around. I was like, like hey, what's up? He goes, he goes, man, where the hell you been? I said, I've been sitting right here. You walked right by me like two times. He said, hey, pack your shit. You're leaving right now. What the fuck? And then I'm going up the stairs. And uh, the people are like, hey, hey, John, let me get your shirt. Here. Let, me get, <laughs> right? let me get those shorts. Here, yeah, right? Yeah, let me get those shoes. I can't, I can't give you the shoes, man. I ain't going to walk out with no slippers, bro. He said, let me get, let me get some, those, those socks and the other stuff. I said, go ahead. I said, I left the shit to the home, the body right there, man. Uh, what he doesn't want, just get at him. So I get all my shit, right? And I'm talking to, uh, I'm talking to Michelle. And... Um, we're arguing over where I'm going to stay for the night because the buses only run twice, I think 10 and three. It's only like 6 p.m. Yeah. And then I think Michelle contacted you too and you sent some money. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. And so, so I'm telling Michelle, like, look, this is like the only time they're telling me I'm going home. And then you want me to tell them, hold on. I got to go. <laughs> I'll call you. I will call you when I get out. I'll find a cell phone. Somebody, I'll find a way to contact you. Yeah. But they tell me, I got to go. I got to go. I'm going home. And you want to wait, but you want to figure this out on where I'm going to stay for the night. And I don't want to tell them, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not ready. Oh, no. I'll never tell them, man. So <laughs> I left, right? And I, I, get to, I get to the booking R&R over there. Or the booking, right? They don't call it R&R. Uh, I'm at the elevator. And then there's two police on there. Like, Styles, Styles? Yeah, I got some good news and bad news. I'm like, oh, fuck. I said, what's up? I said, give me the good news. So I'm hoping the bad, no, I said, give me the bad news. I'm hoping the good news will cheer me up. He said, the bad news is, man, you're not going home. What? He says, you're just not going home tonight. I said, why is that? He said, because they're supposed to put an ankle monitor on you. And it's unfortunately closed. It's closed at five. So you're going home at nine in the morning tomorrow. Fuck, are you serious? Right? <laughs> Damn. And then so I go back to the unit. They're like, what happened, man? I was like, man, the ISAP, the ISAP place is closed to, to slap on that monitor on my ankle. I'm like, fuck, man. I said, that's fucked up. But you like, man, you're not gonna sleep tonight. Hell no, I'm not gonna sleep. <laughs> I couldn't sleep the whole I swear I didn't sleep the whole night. And Michelle was like, it. let me yeah, Michelle's like, let me get you a plane ticket. I was like, no, I don't want to fly. I was because I had that bad experience when I was shackled up flying, right? So I was like, now I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a bus. So I ended up, when I got released, uh, I remember the captain of the jail, his name is Captain O'Brien. I, I would tell him, hey, Cap, I heard that he'll drive people to Walmart to get a phone, right? I say, hey, Cap, I'm about to get out, man. I say, can you take me to Walmart, buy a phone, and drop me off the bus station? Yeah, yeah. So just get out first. Every day I tell him, I was there for like a year, right? Hey, I'm about to get out, Cap. Yeah, just let me know. Just go to, when you go to booking, just let them know that I told you that I'll take you to Walmart. That day finally came, right? I said, hey, excuse me, can you call Captain O'Brien? Uh, what's, what's the purpose? I said, he's supposed to take me to Walmart. 
He said that? I said, yeah. Uh, hold on one second. Captain, the captain comes in. Oh, shit. They <laughs> finally came, huh? I said, I told you, Cal, get out of this motherfucker here, man. Right? So it's like, he said, when ICE is done with you, um, I believe they're supposed to put an ankle monitor. Yeah, come back here, and then uh, I'll take you to Walmart, get you a phone, I'll drop you off at the station. I said, all right, man. So I come back. I'm walking back. I'm walking, I'm walking in the street with a bag, right? And I had a little cardboard uh, box that used to hold like a, uh, I think it was like a, a TV in there. I used it like a little makeshift uh, briefcase, a cardboard briefcase, right? And then um, I said, hey, hey, Captain, I'm back. He goes, come on, let's get in my truck. Put me in his truck, went to Walmart. Hey, keep in mind, I haven't been out in like 23 years, right? So he parks in the parking lot and he says, fellas, go ahead. i like, what you mean go ahead? You're not going to go with me? He goes, no. He says, I said, man, I don't know what to do. He said, just go in there and go buy a phone. I said, yeah, simple enough, right? I'm like, I don't even know where it's at. He goes, it's old. I go, that's right. You were locked up since like you were young. I said, yeah. He said, just go straight to the back. You got the electronics. I'll find the phone that you want. Pay for it. They'll activate it for you on the spot. I said, okay, what about my, my, my card, my debit card? Uh, he goes, go to the ATM. I said, where's that? Go in. It's on your left. So I go in there, right? And then I didn't know how to use that shit. I didn't know how to use the fucking, uh, the ATM machine. So I go in there. I ask one of the workers, Walmart. I say, excuse me, can you help me with the, the ATM? They're like, what's wrong? Is it not working? I said, I think it's working. I just don't know how to use it. They're looking at me hella crazy, right? Like, you don't know how to use the ATM? I look, I'm not going to lie. I just got out. I said, I've been locked up for a long time. I'm, I just got out of information. Oh, you're one of them. What the fuck you mean one of them, right? Like, I said, excuse me? Like, no, we get a, a bunch of um, people who get out of the immigration jail that come here to buy, uh, like, a phone. I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I said, oh, okay, yeah. I said, where's the, um, the electronics department? So she helped me get my money. I went over there and got me a phone. Right? I activated it. They activated it for me. And I was like a kid, boy, in the, in the, in the candy store. Walmart, walking around, talking to Michelle. It was crazy. Then I got out. Then I forgot where he, the captain parked. I was like, oh, this bastard left me, right? Like, damn. Then I'm looking around. Like, and he honked. And I looked. I said, oh, there he is right there. Okay. He goes, you got your phone? He goes, yeah, what is it? He goes, a little small, small Samsung. I said, good enough to get you home, right? Said, yeah. But as long as I could video chat, I'm good. So he dropped me at the bus station. I got there around 11. The next bus wasn't until 3. Right? So I put my stuff there. I, you know, I chopped it up with a worker. We became Facebook friends, took pictures of her, with her and everything. She was hella cool. I said, look, I ain't going to lie. I told her my history. I've been locked up since I was 18. Like, I'm 41 now. Uh, I, I haven't seen the streets. I said, can I leave my stuff here? I'm going to venture out. She goes, yeah, don't worry. I said, is it safe? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, are you sure? She goes, yeah. I said, I know where you work. She started laughing, right? Like, she goes, no, you're good. It's good. It's good. Just go ahead. I was walking around Alabama. It was crazy walking the street. I was, it was like, you know, I couldn't believe it. It was like a dream, dog. Like, 23 years, and I'm walking at all places in Alabama. I go to, I go to this, uh, like, little, um, this little joint to, uh, for some buffalo wings. And then I was talking to Michelle. I walk in. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do. They all just staring at me and shit. You know, Asian with tattoos. I'm, I, I'm in a tank top. I, I'm in my hat, my hat sideways, right? 
like, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? She goes, just order from who, from where? It's not like just McDonald's, you know what I mean? When you go to McDonald's, you just walk in, you walk up to the front, you tell them what you want. They're like, tell them a table for one. I said, a table for one, please. I said, okay, um, right here. Man, show me the menu. Then I was chopping it up with the, the owner, right? I'm like, hey, what's, what's good over here? I try the buffalo, boneless buffalo wings. I said, uh, with rats. I said, yeah. I said, hell yeah. Then he's talking about where I come from, where I'm from. I, I saw I came from the immigration. He said, why are you being deported? I got caught up when I was young. He goes, how young? I was 18. I goes, how old are you? I'm like 41. He goes, man, really? I was like, yeah. Goes, well, good luck to you, man. I said, all right. So for like, till like 2.30, I, I just walk around the whole Alabama. But I kept reminding myself, right? Don't, I mean, I, I try to remember where I came, you know, which direction I'm going. Because, man, I'm not trying to miss that bus, fool. Hell, huh? So I got there. I went there earlier than I, than I wanted to. And I planned to. I got there about 2. So I just bullshitted with the worker till like the bus came. And after that, that's when the real journey began on the way home. It was like a dream, though, man. I'm telling you, it was like I couldn't believe it. I, yeah, I can only imagine that. That's crazy that after all that time paroling or getting out in freaking Alabama, not even California, like, and then having man, to I take tra- a bus all the way home. That's what I'm saying. I traversed the whole, almost the whole United States by myself, not being out after not being out in 23 years. Right? Then I get wrapped up by the border patrol in New Mexico. Right, because they're looking, they're asking for IDs, 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 and I didn't have no ID. And then uh, there's three of them that answered the bus. They're like, "You have an ID, sir?" I was like, "I know, I do not." I said, "As a matter of fact, uh, I'm gonna show you this. I have an income model. I just got an immigration. Here's my paperwork right here. I'm supposed to report to San Francisco on uh, Tuesday. As you can see here, this is the contact person. If there's any questions, they told me. They're like looking at, like, uh, turn your head sideways." I look at me, so sideways. I'm like, okay, sir, have a good day. Like, nah, you have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so I called my attorney. I knew. I said, man, I almost got wrapped up by Border Patrol in New Mexico. He goes, oh, John, I forgot to tell you. Uh, there's, a, there's a border checkpoint right there for uh, Greyhound, and they'll go on the bus and they'll question people's IDs. They say, well, you should be good because you have all your paperwork. I said, yeah, but I was, I was kind of nervous. Yeah, I would be too. I could see Mexico too, right? From like mm-hmm. that, that border checkpoint. Like, Damn, it's crazy, man. So, so that was a hell of an experience, though. The three days, it, it took me three days to get back to California. So, three days. Now you're finally reunited with your wife where you don't have to worry about visiting room rules and everything. So, how, how long do you get to spend with your wife before you eventually get deported out to the Philippines? So my so my case was pending in the in the ninth district, um, ninth circuit court, which is a federal appeals court. Um, that's like the second highest court you can go to. There's a bunch of circuit courts all over this, just all over the United States. Um, your only option after that is the U.S. Supreme Court, regardless of what circuit court you come from. So my case was pending there. Um, I lost. I lost my case. I. I filed in the U.S. Supreme Court, and they also denied my petition uh, for a review. So I was able to spend seven months uh, out there with my wife. Uh, but, you know, we knew that that was a possibility of me being deported. 
And so that was always looming, but we tried to like, you know, push it to the side and not let that get in the way of enjoying what time we did have together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we don't, you know, of course, if you're always thinking about it, then you're not going to enjoy the, the moments that you have. So, but every now and then, of course, reality will hit that, you know, there's a possibility that I'll be deported. And when that time did come, when I lost my case, I check in with, I check in with ICE every week. I check in with ICE every week on, on, uh, on Tuesday. Then I'm home, then I'm house arrest every Monday till 12 p.m. noon. Uh, the ISAP is the people that, that monitors my ankle bracelet. Um, they come there to check up on you every Monday uh, between 8 to 12. Uh, sometimes they don't show up, but, they'll sh but you have to stay there until 12. And if you leave, they'll know because, of course, you're on, you're on GPS monitoring, right? So when it's like 11.58, I was like, this fucker ain't going to show. I call my uh, case manager in San Francisco. Right, I call her. I say, "Hey, Julius John." I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" I said, "Look, it's 1158. Uh, the, the dispatch. Can you call dispatch? See if they're gonna come over here because I got two minutes left, and I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to go somewhere and get something to eat." She goes, "Hold on one second. She called dispatch. Uh, no, they're not coming today. So you're good to go." I said, "Don't." I said, "Julie." She goes, "Don't worry. You're good to go." I said, "All right. I don't want. I don't want to." It's, 11.59, I'm about to leave. They're coming over here to check up on me. And I'm leaving. Okay. Yeah, so every Monday I was in house arrest for seven months until they finally deported me. So, and this, and this is something I've told your story, I don't know how many times to other people, but I want I want people that, that haven't been through the system and that are listening or watching to kind of get a better idea or learn something like so taxpayers for 20 plus years and then another three years on the federal side paid probably back in the day 40,000 up to 70,000 a year to house you just to deport you anyway and and this is something like I was ignorant to myself and as a taxpayer, I hate that because, I mean, in my mind, if they do all that when you get arrested, why not just deport you, say you're guilty, get out, you know, and right. save taxpayer money. And, and you know, I, I get the punishment side, but why waste, quote unquote, America's money on it, right? So it's like you did all that time. Uh, you got found suitable. Then you had to sit in ice for all that time. And then you get seven months of quote unquote American freedom and then deported. Right. And now you're in the Philippines. Right. So, um, yeah, man, I, I just, uh, I think it's wrong. And I will say John brought it up that I, I went to a few of the, the hearings out there in San Francisco. Um, and I'll never forget one of the ones that went before you was, a Mexican national who had been caught three different times and deported three different times. And you kept getting denied to bail out and all this stuff in that court. And this guy, every time had been caught under the influence drugs in his system with drugs on them. And I'm listening and I'm like, Psh. after seeing what they did to you every time, I'm like, Oh, this guy the denied. And after listening to all that, the judge is like, okay, $10,000 bail. And I'm like, wait, what? 
this dude has been deported, but like literally just keeps coming back and getting in trouble. And right. Every like literally his history was and nothing against Mexicans, but at the same time, I'm sorry. That to me, I don't care where you come from. If you have been illegal that many times and then every job he couldn't prove it because he always got paid cash, I'm like, this is a guy who shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Whereas right. you Aside from the one crime that sent you to prison, you had never been in trouble. Your parents are in the military. You got family and ties and you know what I mean? But you had to fight your ass off just to get seven months. I know. <laughs> and, like, I'm a, I, and, I'm a, and I'm a resident green card holder too. So it, yeah. I'm not even illegal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm a permanent resident. So it didn't matter at all. They, they don't care. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's absolutely crazy. I mean, I've heard um, in talking with some of the other homies, uh, Vietnamese homies and stuff, that actually have put in and been granted pardons. So now they have their green cards back and they don't have to worry about deportation. I'm like, right. why couldn't you do that? You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, I just, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I do not pretend to have the answer to how to fix the system, but... I, I don't think enough people understand how broken it is, you know. Um, and to me, it, it revolves around money, not around justice. So, of course, of you know, course. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they moved you around and paid to—I mean, I, I can only imagine what it costs to put a bunch of people on a plane when you could have just stayed in freaking Sacramento. You know what I mean? Like, why? So, like you said, it was money because uh, I think they're paying. How much were they paying? Um, is I think it was uh fifty. No, I think it's like a hundred something, one ten a day to house the ice inmate in R Triple C. Um, yeah, a lot. And, and the people who were fighting the cases are the ones that were being moved. So they call it long term detainees, right? Right, right. They take years before their case is resolved. So then, at the place that they sent us to, they were only paying like I believe forty five dollars a day. As opposed to the one one ten days. Yeah, because it's cheaper out there. Yeah, no, and, and that's also why they they started using those private prisons to house all the overflow people in California. Yeah, because it's cheaper. You pay you paying a fraction of what you would pay at this other facility. Yeah, so, um, and and then so yeah, okay, it costs it costs the money. It costs quite a grip of money to transport all of us, right? Because they're coming all over the West Coast, but at the end of the day. They're gonna say because a lot of people will sit there for years and years on end. Oh yeah. So it's gonna. I mean, okay, yeah, we're gonna come. You're gonna spend some money flying you guys over here, but at the end of the day, we're gonna say because we're only paying forty five dollars. Yeah, and then the the flip side is some people are the the countries aren't accepting deportees, so yeah, you know, just sit there. Yeah, they sit there and wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Right. So if you're sitting if you're sitting arch to see for one ten a day for five years, man. You just cost the government hella money. Yep. So, so you said something earlier about you know having that still that mentality of uh, getting out and just getting back into doing stuff. And even as you you got into prison and 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 I will say um, I know I brought this up to you and I don't know how much you even remember ever telling me the whole five and seven year thing that you know you in five years you feel like you just got there and in seven years you're gonna make a decision whether you want to start doing what everyone else does or whatever. And I don't know if you made that up or you heard it from someone else, but I will say when, 
when we first were cellies. And even when we moved over to three buildings, so after we'd been cellies for a little bit, I had told you one time, I was like, because you were talking about something that happened out on the streets with, with, with your boys. And I mean, you were lit up. Like, you were excited telling the story. I'm like, damn, <laughs> fool, you, like, you you ain't you ain't changed like you you love it like fuck you're excited right now like you want to be doing that shit still running around with guns and shit like that and um when i paroled in 2009 that wasn't you anymore you were not when you talked about shit you talked down about it and that you know like that shit ain't no i need i need i'm someone else now and um a lot of times I've seen and heard and even even in, in my professional career, even though I was afforded opportunities, I would be sitting at in meetings with C-suite, you know, CFOs and freaking COOs and HR and everything. And we'd be outlining like backgrounds and what's acceptable and what isn't. And anyone, it would always be like the red line through if if someone kills someone, they can't even work here. And I'm like, you guys wouldn't even hire me. And they're like, yeah, but you're different. I'm like, but you know me if you didn't. And I showed up on the doorstep today, this, this piece of paper says you would not hire me. And they're like, no, but see the executive body could overrule it. I'm like, so you're going to tell me if a convicted murderer who did their time and then got out showed up today you guys would sit down and have a roundtable meeting to give them a job. Yeah, right. And to this day, the CFO that was, was on those committees, he's at a different organization now. He just wrote me a, a, a reference letter and stuff. But he was like, I love that you would sit there and fight for that. Because there were other ex-convicts that were in those meetings. They would not say anything. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. This is wrong. I'm sorry. We need to be, you need to be open-minded because you don't just get out. Like, you know, like someone like you, like you got to change. And we know this, but a lot of people out here who, who don't have any affiliation with prisons or anything, they, they don't get it. But the longer you do, the more you are inclined to never go back. It's the short-term people you got to worry about. It ain't the people that did, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. It's the people that did one year. You're like, mm, I don't know if you learned or not, <laughs> you know? True. Yeah. And that's, and that's true too, because you know, a lot of people like in Solano, uh, state level two, you see a lot of people go in and out because mm-hmm. uh, the first place they've been to is the first, they, they touch down only in Solano level two. Yep. So to them, this is the impression of what prison is like, and it's not. Yeah. So to them, it, to them, it ain't shit. Oh, I could do this all day long. So when they do get out, you know, uh, you know little shit, one year, two years, whatever. Uh, when they do get out, their their um, experience of prison was Solano level two with Camp yeah. Fluffy. Right, you you didn't learn nothing because they say for the whole two years of your time, all you did was just be on the cell phone all day. Yeah, and, and and the other thing is, is a lot of those guys. I mean, and I'm partially to blame. I I'll, I'll never forget someone on level two that pulled up and started talking to me, and I was like, "How much time you got?" Oh, I got two years, and I was like, "I ain't even gonna remember your name, bro. Like, you ain't gonna be here long enough." So, <laughs> like, but now I think about it, I'm like. And I shouldn't have been saying stuff like that because they're just going to go around other people that are short timers and 
what do they talk about? The stuff they did and how fun it was. And so they get out and do the same shit, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But it, it's that's true, though, because it, the, the more years you pulled in, the more you see that uh, prison can be uh, used as a reset button. You know what I mean? Not to keep it going. Not to keep it going what you did. Uh, but for some, though, it's, I mean, because the shit that you could do in the streets, you could do in prison. You know what I mean? The violence, gangbang, shit, drugs, alcohol, weapons, whatever. Uh, you could continue that in prison if you choose to. If you choose to. Right? Yeah. If you choose to. Uh, but for those whose mentality is, you know what, uh, I've been doing this for too long, it's time for a change, then if you choose to, you can make that change happen as well. Yep. You know what I mean? So, so, uh, so when they say you're a product of your own environment, I don't believe that to be true. Because if you could... If you could stay positive in such a fucking negative environment and maintain that, then it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's your choice, not the environment. Yeah. And, and something else in specifically with lifers that I don't think people get because people are always like, you know, like even with you with just like cell phones and inappropriate touching and visiting, which really aren't huge deals, but still, but when people go, I don't get how someone who knows that they have to stay clean, how they can't stay clean so they can get out. And I'm like, do you know what it's like to go through prison for 10, 20 years and never get in trouble? Like, that's not easy. Like, even if you're doing everything, like like you said, if a riot jumps off and it gets close to, to us, you got to get up and defend yourself. You can't sit there and just let shit happen. And then next thing you know, you have a, a 115 for being involved in a riot. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your program is, to to not ever get in trouble. You know what I mean? Um, and me, I ain't gonna lie. I mean, shit, once my sentence got overturned, I was like, fuck, I don't care. <laughs> Give me whatever ride up you want. I'm still gonna go home eventually. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you but, but but you would never do anything to put yourself in a position where you would get more time either, though. Nah, nah. You know what I mean? Nah. And, nah. Yeah. Nah, unless I, like, see, had to. <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, uh, a lot of lifers were getting caught with a cell phone because, uh, one, they were, they were not, they've never been around cell phones, like myself, right? So then when you get introduced to this, you're like, damn, this is my connection to the world out there, right? And then, two... You kind of justify it because it's not illegal. It's just a phone, right? It's not a drug. You, you can't you can't get a new charge. You get a one fifteen, but you can't get a new charge for it. So yeah, then I remember. I remember my one of my one fifteens is because of your dumbass. Which one? When you wanted to use my phone because you got you you lost in the round robin of softball. I still got to go play. <laughs> because you took hella long. You took hella long to try to put it. Took you long to try to uh, give me that phone because <laughs> you were, I think you were checking. I think you were checking your messages before you. I wanted were to check it. my messages before I gave it yeah. to you. Yeah. See if you would have if you would have gave it to me, I would have been gone already. I would have been upstairs because you know true. they went specifically for you. Yeah, they they did. They did. They, they went specifically for you. It's all good. Medina did. Yep. And I remember Colder was all scared. He's like, oh man, and everyone was telling him, man, Tito was gonna take the rap for that. He's like, man, they're gonna. Hey, because remember when they, remember, cause when they came in, remember I was, I was like, I was trying to block for you too. So when I heard you close the, the, the thing, the right? Writer, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, we're, we're, you know, you're good, you're good, but 
you wore it because you threw it. Remember? Yep. And that damn thing bounced around. That was the only thing that screwed it up. I had the stupid shelf with all my my shirts and towels on it, and it said, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> "I was like, Dang. that's why." That's why when I heard when I heard the, the typewriter like snap close, okay, I kind of like moved because they they wanted us to get out and get patted down. But that, but that was that was one of those situations that after everything was said and done, I was pissed. I didn't go with what I thought, which was I'm just gonna hold in my hand and try to leave. But I started coming off the bunk, and when they came in, that's when I threw it. But then I was like, I should have just held it in my hand. And sure enough, when they patted me down, they didn't check my hand. He just told me, lift my hands up. And he went like this and was like, go. And I was like, oh, I could have like walked out with it, man. Because I had that a was, small, yeah. that was a little phone. Yeah, I was, uh, anyway. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, those are all the what ifs, though. Huh? And then I had one of your stupid tattoo needles in my freaking locker. And they were like, what's this tattoo needle for? And I was like, really? You care about a tattoo needle? You already got my phone. <laughs> throw the needle in there too i don't care but, yeah they're nah, chipping on the needle the tattoo needle yeah he brought that up i was like really i think that fool was pit everyone laughed too i don't know if, if you were downstairs when i went when i went over there or not but when that fool walked out and he had the phone in his hand he's like you guerrero i was like yeah what what are you doing with my phone and he was like he didn't know what to say he's like shut up and sit down. I was like, all right. I was like, put my phone back, man. Whatever. He's like, oh, you think you're smart? I was like, obviously not. You got my phone. I mean, shit, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he, he couldn't believe that I was sitting there telling him all that. I was like, I don't care. It ain't my first one. It ain't going to be my last. Yeah. I know when, I, when I got caught with that phone, right, um, they did a raid, and I actually, um, I had it up to my ear like this, right? And so there's two police that came up the stairs, W dorm. The first one was um, uh, Herrera, Miss Herrera. Oh. All right, little Tasmanian devil. Little Tasmanian she, devil, yeah. Yeah, so she went up the stairs. I seen her, but she went to X dorm. So I was able to, like, put the phone, put, I was putting the phone down. But I didn't know that there was another officer right behind her. So she didn't see me. The other officer behind her saw me. So I'm doing this. All it took was just that eye contact like this. Fuck. I'm turning it off, right? Then he come up to me and with the separate spray, he's like, give it a phone. I'm like, fuck. Here. Then he walks away, comes back. Give me the charger. I had the fucking charger on my chest. <laughs> but it was an eyeglass case, though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I had a little bit of wire sticking out. So I guess so. And then um, comes back again. Give me your ID. Like, damn. And then that's when Abram, damn, when I was walking downstairs to get some water, uh, everybody, all eyes were on. When I'm walking in the day room, everybody, oh, was just like, was looking at me. Everybody. I mean, if you was blind, you still were looking at me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they're like, yeah, I can't believe this fool just got caught on the phone. Second suitability. Even uh, uh, um, uh, Abram, Salas, come here, man. He said, what are you doing? Well, one of the one of the parole officers in Berkeley in the office where I was out of uh, was buddy buddy with Abru, and every once in a while he'd be like, "Hey man, Abru said what's up," and I'd be like, "And tell him I said what's up, man. Tell, tell him I said I hope he's doing all right, man." He's like, "Yeah, we we tell him you're doing good." I'm like, "All right, cool. Yeah, let him know I'm doing good, man." I'm just, yeah. 
Yeah, he told me. Yeah, it was telling me that he had a buddy that's a like a PO. Yeah, and he would yeah. see you every now and then. And Abel yeah. was Abel was cool though, man. Abel like when I got found suitable on my third time, <laughs> right? I come back in, go solid, solid. How was how was your hearing? It was all good, man. I got I got found suitable, man. He said that's good shit. He said solid, solid. I said what's up? He goes, are you gonna get are you gonna get on the cell phone right now? I said hell no. Nah. I said I'm about to use that phone on that wall right there. He said good. He said. Fellas, don't you said go home, man? I said I will. Who who was that in uh in three building? There was a the the fat cop and then the skinny cop. Um Guerrero? No, no, no. Oh, the two white guys. Um oh fuck. The um, the the white guy, I was in 18, he was in 18 building. Um I came back from two yard after I went to the whole four yard. Um Fuck, what was his name? Was it was it not Wilson? Not Wilson. No. The fat dude I don't started with like an L and I forget. In th- they were in, they in were, building three? They were in building three. And it was after you left when I had started getting all my stuff in. And um I used to put the DVD player in a box of minute rice, right? And yeah. seal it up, and that's how I would take it to give it to other people. And I gave it to AJ, Filipino AJ, right? Uh, no, for Chris, because him and Chris were uh, sellies, right? And so they 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 were supposed to keep it, right? And all of a sudden, someone comes and they're like, "Hey, one of your people at the door for you, right?" I'm like, "Huh?" So I walk out, and AJ's out there like this, with a freaking canteen bag, right? He's like, I'm like, what's up, bro? He's like, here, right in the Sally port. You know, they sit there and watch, right? right so he's right, like, right. here. And I'm like, what's this? He's like, it's it's your rice. And I'm like, oh, this dude, man. And I'm like, I don't, I'm cool. I'm, I don't even need it, man. And he's like, nah, man. And I'm like, dude, fucking the cops are right here. And he's like, all right. And he just takes off, right? I'm like, so I turn around. I start walking in. He's like, hey, Guerrero, come here. I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, what's in the bag? And I'm like, oh, some rice and shit for us to cook. He's like, yeah, like you need rice. You got more food in there than the canteen does, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, bro, look, it's rice. And I, I shake the box, right? Because there's rice in there. I'm like, he's all, you know, what's going to happen if I open that up and spill it out on the desk right now? And I was like, you can owe me a box of rice. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> and, and he goes, just like this, he goes, man, it's 1.30 on lock. It's about to be two. It's shift change. I ain't trying to do no paperwork. Go ahead and put your rice up in the cell. And I was like, come on, man. So later on, like literally a few months later when I get cracked with the phone and I'm in the hole, he comes and works overtime in the hole. He's escorting me to a visit, right? And as we're walking, he's all, hey, there ain't no one around. Was that phone in that box of rice that day? And I was like, you remember that rice thing? He's like, hell yeah, I remember. I know there was something in there. I was like, it wasn't a phone. He's like, what was it? I was like, DVD player. He's like, I knew you had something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Anyway, we, we definitely, uh, it's getting late over here. Oh, we got to do another one of these. I just want to do one with just straight stories of crazy right. shit. Um, but anyway, wrapping up, um, one, I always ask everyone, like, 
any final words from you or any words of advice for anyone that's going through it or dealing with someone in prison and just anything else you want to say before we close out? All right. Um, I think for a lot of the, the youngsters, right, uh, youngsters who are first coming to prison, uh, I know we all are trying to uh, put our name out there, you know what I mean, be somebody. And I know a lot of people that got caught up in a lot of rights. Um, a lot of them didn't want to participate, get caught up in this shit. But for the sake of pride, they, of course, you know, put this up in the position where it's going to cost them a date or more separation time from the family. Um, you're your own man. Uh, for me, I didn't you know. I had a hard time listening to my dad. So, of course, I'm not going to listen to anybody else. So, my only advice is that just choose your battles carefully. Whether it's on the yard or it's within yourself, just choose your battles carefully. Because whichever, whichever decision you make, just remember it's not only going to affect you. If you got loved ones, it's also going to hurt them. And yeah. we, the reason why I say that because, like the cell phone, uh, it was keeping me and my wife closer together. But at the same time, before we get caught, like I did, it's also keeping us further apart. So choose your battles carefully. That's my only advice. So good stuff. That's pretty good much stuff. it. Yeah. Awesome. So. It's been the interview with my old Bunky, my old Sally, uh, John. We, we uh, like I said, freaking 10 years um, while I was in there with him. And I will say this. I'll, I'll, I'll give myself a shout out. Uh, I made a promise that if I could, I would go back and I went back in and visited. I'll be sure to throw some pictures of that up. But um, He sure did. He sure did. And, and I'll never forget when uh, Mike Johnson came up to me in that first visit and, and made me cry because he was like, dude, I've been here like 20 years and you the first person I've seen come back. I was like, damn. And I was like, man, I made a promise. Like, I, I'm a man of my word. I, as soon as I was approved, I came back, you know. Um, and it was a trip seeing uh, the first time I got to go into San Quentin inside, walk in the yard, like, to go speak right and i saw pit on the yard pit from three building like pit yeah. i don't know if he's still in i someone told me he got found suitable i don't i'm assuming he got out but yeah that was a trip like seeing him on the yard and being able to give him a hug and i'm in regular clothes and everything you know, right 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 like on the yard though not in visiting you know that that, right. that was a trip so it's been a hell of a ride man but um I'm glad you're out. I'm not glad that you're in the Philippines, but I'm glad that you're 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 safe in your home. And um, just real quick for everyone listening, are you still working on trying to get back? Well, my my appeal was actually lost, and there's options, so uh, I'm weighing them out. I'm weighing them out because you know, but you know, as the more you lose, the chances are. The le- you know the least likelihood of winning after you lose one stage over the other. So, I mean, uh, I I might be deported right, but uh, a bad day out here beats a good day in there. 
hundred percent. And and that's funny you say that because that was the last thing I was going to bring up is that when you had your cell phone, um, there was a few times I text you and just wanted to hear from you that it's better out here than it was in there because I'd be going through something and just be like, damn, it was easier yeah, in I prison, know. man. I, I had <laughs> I everything I needed in there, man. And 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 I I just I just wanted to bring that up because. Uh, when, when people wonder why people do whatever to go back to prison, like it, we, we go through some PTSD stuff and, and it, it's hard when you're not afforded opportunities because of your background and everything else. And, you know, when things get rough, like in prison, no matter how rough it gets, you got a roof over your head, you got medical, you got dental, you got, you know what I mean? You got electrics paid. Yeah. So you know, out here, it's like you, you lose some stuff and you're like, damn, holy shit, what do I do? Right. So. It's true. And 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 crazy. Right. Is uh, the people that look out for us the most is us. That's true. Yeah. That's also true. So um, it's a hell of a network to have, you know, a bunch of ex-convicts yeah. that look out for each other. So anyway. It's late. I got to get my child to bed and everything. So All right. uh, I appreciate you taking a few hours and, and chatting. We'll get together again and, and do some, some stories next time. But I, I wish you continued uh, safety and good health out there. And one of these days, one of these years, hopefully sooner than later, I'll make my way out there. I know, I know, uh, uh, Gilbert out in China talking about we need to just do China or whatever, but we need to all meet up somewhere and, and hang out. Let's man. go. I got my passport. I'm ready to roll. For <laughs> sure. So. All right, man. Yeah. So this is 15 to live. All right, man. John Sales, Sal, Salas. Salas. Thank you. And uh, take care. See y'all next time. All right. Later, bro. Later, bro. All right, that wraps up part three. That was the full interview with John Salas. Um, once again, John and I are friends. Uh, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, I really can't wait. Uh, you heard at the end there, you know, really can't wait to have the opportunity to meet up face to face again. I am glad I was able to see him before I moved to Texas. Um, that was great before he got deported. Um, he will definitely be a friend for life. So once again, like, comment, download, share this, um, and go ahead and check out 15 to Life YouTube. I'll be putting up the actual video of um, all of these interviews as well uh, as soon as I get around to it. Anyway, thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you, um, and catch you on the next one.